Ephesians chapter 3, and if you'll also take your worship bulletin or folder and get the white sheet of paper that's folding up there, and you'll feel open that up, and you can follow along, and hopefully that will be helpful for you. We're continuing a sermon series in, in the book of Colossians. If you'll remember, Paul's writing this letter to a young church. People have come in and told them that they need more than just Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross to have true faith. They've told them that they need religious markings and they need religious customs and all these things. And what Paul is ultimately saying to the people is what you need is Christ. All you need is Christ and all flows from there. All flows from Christ. And so as we begin, you'll look at the top and you'll see the main point. As God's chosen children, we are to look like our Father by reflecting on Him. And I want to add one simple phrase, two words, by reflecting on Him in gratitude. In gratitude. If you don't think on the cross, if you don't sing a song like we have just sung or the one before, and you aren't grateful, if your heart isn't warmed, then you won't look like Jesus. You won't look like your father. Your father is probably not God. Your father, like we said last week, is more close to Satan. Because it's his heart, it's his attitude that you're reflecting if you're not thankful when you think on the cross of Christ. Last week we started in, chapter, in verse 12. These verses are really to be held together, verses 12 through 17. But just so that we can cover each one adequately, each topic, we've split it up just a little bit. So, little refresher, verse 12, what we usually do when we go through these verses is we, is we read quickly. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. And we jump to the things that we're supposed to put on. But as we emphasized last week, what's almost most important in these verses is put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You see, the point is, is not that you went and you chose God and then you're supposed to be putting on all these things or that God chose you and then you by yourself put on all these things. That's that's not the point. The only way that you can put on all these things is if you recognize that you were like a baby, stranded and without a father, and you needed someone to choose you. You needed a father, and God came along and says, I choose you, not because of anything in you that's worthy, not because of anything that's lovely about you, but God comes and he says, I make you mine. And then you begin, because God in his gracious love has made you his own, you're able to put on the attributes of God. You're able to put on these things. As one author, he says, we often talk about how we're saved by grace, but we rarely talk about how we're preserved by grace. It's not just your salvation that you need help from God in. You need help from God, from God for it all. And so even in putting on God's compassion and God's kindness, the only way that we can do this is by reflecting on God and gratitude. And so that is why the points, as you will see last week, if you look on the internet, the sermon's there along with the notes, and the points were reflect on Jesus' compassion, reflect on Jesus' kindness, reflect on Jesus' forgiveness. And this is how we begin to put on forgiveness and this is how we begin to put on compassion and so the points will continue this way 
We're going to read verses 15 through 17. If you'll read with me, you can stand with me, please, as we read. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 3, Paul says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we pray that you would speak through your word, that you would fill us with gratitude for all of your grace. And Jesus, in that gratitude, in that expression of thanksgiving for all that you've done for us, that we would begin to flow over with these compassionate hearts, to flow over with uh, attitudes of peace, that we would seek peace with one another, Father, and that we wouldn't seek division. Lord, that our body, that we would dwell together in the peace that reflects all the peace that you've given through your own crucifixion. And Lord, then may we dwell on your word. May it transform our hearts. And may we live all of life to your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we'll begin in verse 15. And the first point is reflect on Christ's peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were in, indeed, indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And this word letting peace rule, actually it's like a judge and he's making a decision. He's, he has two decisions, two options here. And he's deciding between the two. And so when you're deciding to let peace rule, it's you have a decision at hand. You have two options and you decide which one makes for peace. And you choose that one. That's the picture. And so letting peace rule means letting it be the determining factor in our decisions, as you see in A. In Romans 14, 19, these believers has be, have begun to think on their rights in the Christian body instead of loving one another and seeking one another's goods. And so in thinking about their own rights, they begin to make decisions that divide the body instead of unite. And so what Paul says there is let us pursue what makes for peace together. So want to cover this, why do we need peace? And I know we've talked on this a lot, but one of the things that we might think is we don't have peace with God, but it's easy for us to have peace with one another. It's just that some people are jerks, and so we don't like them. It's not that we need God to do something. It's just that some people are dumb, and we don't like them. It's, that's just it. But Colossians 1, Paul has already dealt with this. If you look at chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Look closely at the verse. You were alienated and you were hostile in mind. And here's the reality. Our sin and our selfishness separates us from God, but it also separates us from one another. It also separates us from one another. And the, the beginning of Genesis illustrates this perfectly. If you're visiting with us, what I'm about to say it is the picture of what we believe as Christians what we believe is wrong with this world. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, there's the picture of Adam and his wife Eve, the first humans that God, have made, God has made. He gave them instructions not to eat from one particular tree. And Eve, the wife, was tempted by Satan, who is given the picture of a snake. She was tempted, and she took of the apple, and she ate. 
And then Adam, Eve did, and then Adam came along, and she said, Adam, look at this apple. It's delicious. And so Adam decided to go along with her, and he ate as well. Now, who is the first person that Adam and Eve hide from? God. But they cover themselves to hide from whom? One another. They recognized that they were naked, and they hid themselves from one another. Before, there was no issue. They were naked and they knew nothing. It says specifically, they were not ashamed. But because of sin, they began to look on one another with shame. They began to try to hide themselves. And here's what happens in us. Our sin, our selfishness, we end up dividing one another. And so what we need is God to come in and to establish peace, us, our peace with Him and also our peace with with one another, so that we no longer feel shameful before one another, so that we no longer try to hide everything about ourselves, but that we're able to be open, we're able to be forgiving. This is what we need, not only with God, but also with one another. And so what it says, what God did, is he gave us peace with him and with one another. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, the verse right above, it says, through him, Christ, he chose to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so here's what Paul is saying. In Christ, all has been reconciled to one another. We have been reconciled to God and we have been reconciled to one another. And so, in D, you see in your outline, our peace with God should be echoed through our peace with one another. And this is why chapter 3, Paul has been saying, put off the old, the anger and hatred towards one another, the slandering one another. Take it off. Put on the new, which means you no longer lie to one another, but you speak the truth in love to one another. Have compassion for one another. So when someone's having a hard time, you don't talk about all the foolish things that that person has done. You go to them in love and you say, how can we help you? You put on kindness. You put on forgiveness. And these are the things that let peace reign among you. Slandering one another behind each other's backs, that should not happen here. If you have something to say about someone in the church, go to them. And as a believer, if you have someone, something to say about someone who's not a believer at your workplace or whatever, set the example as a believer and go to them. You're a bad example for the rest of us when you go and you talk about each other and people know that you're a Christian. Don't tell them you go to Crosspoint because we don't want that. That's not the example we want. That's not how we want to be talked about. And so among this body, there should be peace. And so some of you need to change the way that you have conversations. Some of you need to take the gossip and you need to just shut it. If you have a problem with someone, if you have residual just anger or a lack of forgiveness about other people, you need to take care of that. If you're dwelling in self-pity, you need to deal with it. You're dividing the body. So, we reflect the the peace that God has established through Christ by being at peace with one another. If Christ's blood could cover our sins, then surely it can mesh us together. And this is particularly helpful in marriage. 
if your marriage is struggling, if you're making foolish decisions that divide, here's the message to you. Choose what makes for peace. Choose what makes for peace. How can you love your husband? How can you love your wife? Brothers and sisters, children in here, choose what makes for peace. You're not supposed to fight at teenage years. People have just told you that. And so, choose what makes for peace in the relationship. This is the message of letting peace rule. Now, I do want to be clear. We have two types of people in the church oftentimes. We have some people who are all too hungry to go and confront someone. And then we have some people who would just rather let things lay. And so they become passive. And so I want to be clear about what peace is not. Peace is not passivity. It is not. In Matthew 10, 10, chapter 34, uh, Matthew 10, verse 34, excuse me, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so here's what we can know for certain, is that our pursuit of peace will sometimes cause division. Even in this, love is to guide our pursuit of peace. And so this is why I've given you some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, what's happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is there's a guy in the body who is having sexual relations with his mother-in-law. And the people, Paul says, are boasting. We've got this guy among us, and he's doing this. This is great. And Paul said, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And Paul says, you need to deal with this. And Paul says, in love for others in love for this man who's doing this he says this in first corinthians 5 verse 5 deliver this man to satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the lord letting people continue in sin is not keeping the peace of christ it's not letting the peace of christ reign it's foolish and it's not loving and so even this rule of peace we are to let love guide what this looks like also love for the body. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, the same thing. Paul says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so this person who we're letting continue in sin for the sake of peace is destroying us. This isn't Christ, and this isn't the peace of Christ. And so seeking peace, the peace of Christ, we're to seek out sin. We're to shed light on it, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, and we're to deal with it. And this is for the good of that person, as Paul says, so that their flesh could be destroyed and that their body be sa- their soul be saved, and also for the good of our body, so that we would be united and we would continue in peace. This is what the peace of Christ is. The peace of Christ can only rule when the people are seeking Christ. So how do we let the peace of Christ reign in our body? And here are just some specific, just generally good examples, practical guidelines. Recognize God as for our relationships. This is one of the most helpful things in marriage. When you recognize that God is for your marriage being together. He's for preserving your marriage. So if you're thinking, man, this is over. This can't happen. God can't help this. God is for your marriage. He wants it to last. It is a covenant you have made together. Don't destroy it. God is for it and he will help you. God is for your relationships. Your relationships together, if you think that person's just a jerk and they can't help themselves, nobody can help them. God is for the body being together. So seek peace. 
Sometimes, no matter what that other person has done, you need to be the one initiating that conversation. Maybe they've done the sin. It doesn't matter. In Christ, it says, you go to him. You go. You initiate. This is what God did in our forgiveness. He sent his sin, and as he, he sent his son, and as he has forgiven us, we seek to forgive. So, this is how we let Christ, the peace of Christ reign is we recognize God is for our relationships. Secondly, we consider how our decisions could affect others. We seek the mutual upbuilding of the body. This is Romans 14, as we mentioned earlier. Third, we do everything we can to preserve peace. We go to counseling, we apologize, we accept rebuke, whatever it may be. We seek peace, and we let peace reign. Peace cannot be preserved if we are arrogant and prideful. And so if you want to be arrogant, peace can't reign. If you want to keep your pride, peace can't reign. The reality is we all need help. We all need help. So, and then I put that last thing in your notes just for you so you can keep the notes. If you want your own way, you can go somewhere else because that's not helpful for us. So take that home with you and you may need to think on it later. Next, reflect on his word. Reflect on his word. This is verse 16. How do we look like our Father? First, we reflect on the peace that He's made, and we let that flow from us in our relationships, and we seek peace with one another. Next, we reflect on God's Word. Verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here is what Paul is getting at. You let the Word of Christ dwell in you, and so it becomes what's in your heart, and then it says you will begin to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And so the picture is that what's in your heart is going to begin to flow out. Can anyone think of someone else who said something like that? Jesus. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And so what Paul is saying, what Jesus has said, is a mind left to its own is automatically just going to seek evil. A heart left to its own is automatically just going to seek evil. And so Paul's saying, get the word in you. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. Meditate on it. And then other desires will flow out. Desires of thankfulness, of gratitude, of singing psalms, hymns to God and to one another. What we often see in the body and everywhere in this world is we, begin, we make decisions based on emotion rather than on what's best. And so this is why you have tons of people who are made debt and things like this. They can't pay their bills. We make decisions based off emotion. What seems good at the time, the divorce rate is high because they think this is what's best as we split and that we go our separate ways. But what Paul is saying is let the word of Christ get in you and then you're going to begin to make decisions that are in God's wisdom. And so then he says you're going to overflow with songs and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness to your hearts to God. And so that's why I've written there that mental transformation leads to emotional celebration. And so when we begin to meditate on God's word and it, we receive God's wisdom through teaching and correcting one another, admonishing means a strong, firm way of teaching, we begin to make wise decisions and then we'll overflow in celebration for God's wisdom that he's given to us. And so this leads, reflecting on his word, leads to wise teaching. It leads to wise rebuking. 
And I wonder, is this happening in our body? Are you reflecting on God's word so much that there's a collective wisdom that just flows among us? This doesn't mean, Paul's not saying there's one guy who gives all this wisdom and he just teaches you everything. There's one guy that you look to and you just, I mean, he's got it all together. He's got it under control. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying all of you dwell on the word of Christ so that all of you in this collective sense begin to flow forth teaching and rebuking in God's wisdom. And then you'll overflow with thanksgiving because we're all walking with God. We're all making these wise decisions. And so is this something that happens among us? Or are you looking to someone else to be the wise one? We all need to be looking to ourselves and then going to one another in love to get that wisdom, feeding off of one another. And so, see, it leads to joyful singing. Our music, and I've said mental transformation leads to emotional celebration. Next, our music is most rich when it reflects his word the most. And so the word of Christ is dwelling in us. And then when we sing hymns and spiritual songs, these aren't, they're three words. And it basically just means that the people are singing all the time. That through the week, they're singing. It's not just like church service songs, but it's all week kind of songs. That they just sing of thankfulness to God. And they sing the things of his word. It's because Christ's word is dwelling in them that it's flowing from them in this musical celebration of what God's done. And so I've mentioned just from songs there who have, that have lasted hundreds of years because they have the content, the richness of God's word. And this is also fitting because Martin Luther, for instance, a mighty fortress is our God. This is a time when the words of Scripture were being revived, when people were beginning to focus on the words of Scripture, the Protestant Reformation. Things had kind of been left behind. They had forgotten about God's Word a lot. And then they begin to, this this revival of seeking God's Word, of doctrine, of truth. And then from that, people begin to write these songs in, in celebration of God's truth. And these songs last for hundreds of years. And this is what should be happening with us. If we are walking in God's wisdom, we will overflow with thanksgiving. And then even some people among us might write things that would reflect all that God has done. They will use their creative gifts to edify the body. Next, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the point here is reflect Christ in all your life. Reflect Christ in all your life. This is a summary statement of what Paul is saying. He's already said, put on compassionate hearts, these specific traits. But then in the ending, he gets to everything, whatever you do, in word or deed, down to the smallest sentence that you say, to the every step that you take, let it all bring glory to God. And so it C.S. Lewis at one point said that everybody has this idea that when you become a Christian, you begin to like do all these different things, you, everything's spiritual, you wear Christian t-shirts all the time, and you always listen to Christian music, and you do all these different things. But what C.S. Lewis said in response to that is it's not that you do different things, but it's everything you do, you do differently. And so Christians aren't people who go and do all these things that are different. You still go to the workplace. 
you still have a family, you still spend time in the city and use the things that the city has created, but it's everything you do, you do to the glory of God instead of for yourself. Instead of for yourself. And so I have a list there of why we do everything in the name of Jesus. He owns everything and our existence is dependent on Him. This is all in Colossians. Because He died to bring us to the Father. Because His death had cosmic effects. And you'll remember from Colossians 1.20 it says that through Christ God reconciled all things to Himself. And so your life, when you go, if you build houses or if you put down floors or whatever it is that you do, all these things are spiritual. All these things are sacred. All your time is sacred. And so that in all those things, you're supposed to be doing it to the glory of God. It's a cosmic redemption. Only acting in Christ and for His gospel can we reflect our Father and have eternal impact. If you're not living every day and everything you do for the glory of the Father then your works will die with you. You can't expect to have eternal impact. Everything you do will die with you. Then refusing to live in Christ rejects the reality of His Lordship. And so then that question, just for you, why don't you do everything in the name of Jesus? Is it because you don't think His death had that big of an impact? Why don't you work from the morning, waking, to the evening. Why don't you do everything in the name of Jesus? Whatever it is you do, Christ owns it all. It's not a sacred, secular divide. All is God's, and you're to do all of it for the glory of the Father. Then the last point, reflect on His goodness. And in a sense, Paul has given us very specific things that, Paul, that we are to be thankful for. But his main point in saying all of this is that in everything, you should be thankful to God. Well, we have some specific things here we want to get to. In verse 15, thank God for giving us peace with Him and one another. It's immediately after He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful that Christ has called you to peace with one another. Be thankful that like Adam and Eve, when they were ashamed and they had to cover themselves up, you don't have to cover yourself up anymore. If there's some struggle you have, you don't have to be shameful. Christ has died. And he saved you from it. And so come here and you don't have to cover yourself up. You can be, you, a forgiven sinner. Be thankful that Christ has called us to peace with one another. And peace with him. Thank God for his word that teaches us wisdom. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness into your hearts to God. Thank God that he's directed you in a way that's wise. That he's preserved your life from evil and for dis from destruction by giving you his word and his instruction. This is how he will guard us. Then thank God for giving us access to him through his son. In him we have all life. And that was verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. It's in Christ we have this access to God where we send praises to God, thanking Him for all that He's done for us and thanking Him that in His Son, in the blood of His own Son, He's given us life, existence. Paul said this in, uh, in the book of Acts, quoting a Greek writer, in Him we live and move and have our being. So one writer about this same thing, says, since all things have been created through Christ and also in principle 
redeemed through him. Christians can do all that they do, whether manual work, political activity, raising a family, writing a book, playing tennis, or whatever, in his, in his name and with gratitude. And so I urge you, if you're one who's making a divide in your life, where Sundays is a, a kind of a sacred day and every other day of the week is your time, that's not the gospel. That's not New Testament teaching. All of your life is for God's glory. And so when you're choosing to watch a movie, that has effects in your life. When you're choosing to read a book, whatever book that may be, it has effects in your life. When you're choosing what music to listen to, it has effects in your life. And I'm not saying you should only listen to K-Love. There are some songs, you, if you sang this to me from K-Love, I might throw up or something. I, they're not good. And so whatever you, you're choosing, the question is, are you bringing glory to God? Is all your life set aside for His glory? That's the question. And I want to introduce a little bit just for next week. We won't be long, but I want to read these first couple verses because this has incredible impacts for these next, ver these, for these next verses. And if you forget this before you get into uh, these, these next verses, you're missing you're missing it. Verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Wives, if you have husbands that reflect verses 12 through 17, you won't have to worry about needing to submit to them. You will be thankful for having a husband that you can submit to. Men, if you're like this, if you're like verses 12 through 17, you don't need to force your wives to be submissive to you. They will want to be. And so remember all these things. Men, you should be this, and this is how you should be leading because you're reflecting these things. And wives, you should be reflecting these things. And it's in these attitudes that we perform our roles as husbands, wives, and as children. Children, are you clothing yourselves with compassion? Do you forgive your parents when they do wrong? Because they will. Or do you hold it against them and over their heads? Children, are in this spirit, are you living? You were called to this. Are you seeking peace in your home? Are you a source of the friction? So as we close, I urge you, are you living everything, every bit of your life? Is it under the Lordship of Christ? If you've come and you're visiting with us and you're new to these things or you're just checking things out, the gospel is that Christ came because we're messed up. And we need a Savior. And He came and He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He comes, He takes away your shame, He forgives your sin. And He makes you one with the Father and He gives you peace. He gives you this new family. This new family that will love you and support you and be with you in all that you do in life and all that you go through that you share your burdens with. And so if you want these things, it's at the feet of Christ. 
And so I urge you, if you don't know Christ, submit your ways to him. Ask for his forgiveness. So as Stephanie comes, I'll ask you, we're gonna, Stephanie's going to sing, and it'll be a song that we can sing together. If there's someone that you need to go to, we've talked about this. If, if you need to establish peace in this body, if there's something you need to do to take care of that, then I urge you to do that. Maybe you need to reflect on the word. Maybe this is just a decision that you need to make that the word is going to be central because that's what Paul's saying is the word is to be central in your life so that it's in your heart and it's flowing from you. But also you're to reflect Christ in all your life. And so is all your life submitted to his lordship to where everything that you do, you do it as if it's sacred and it's for the glory of God. I urge you to pray and to think on these things. And if you don't know Christ, there's someone here that will be willing to talk to you. Mr. Uh, Mr. Allen and Dr. David are here. If you guys would be willing to come up and just be present, if anyone would like to talk, I urge you to come and to pray. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, thank you that you've given us peace with you and with one another. Thank you for your salvation, God. Thank you for the cosmic effects that it has had. Thank you, Father, that in a sense already, Lord, we are being renewed and, and we're longing and we're almost there to where we'll be with you forever, worshiping you. Lord, we are waiting. Father, I pray that even now, though, that we would reflect the peace that you have made with us, that amongst our body, that we would be at peace with one another. Lord, that Crosspoint would reflect the work that you have done in our salvation. Lord, I pray that you would use us as we, uh, in our workplaces and all that we do, that we would seek to bring glory to you. Lord, I pray for those in here who may not have a relationship with you, Lord, that your spirit would draw them to yourself. Lord, that you would work in our body. We thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in your name we pray, Christ Jesus.